You are listening to LEC Online Church, a ministry of Lake Erie Church in Madison, Ohio. We are a multicultural, multi-generational Pentecostal church. For more information, please visit our website at lakeeriechurch.com. Now, we hope you enjoy today's message. Take your right hand, place it over your heart, your left hand, and extend it to the Lord and repeat after me. God, I want what you want. Say it one more time. God, I want what you want. We've been in this series now for a couple of weeks. This idea of how obedience transforms our relationship to God. Week one, we talked about a man by the name of Naaman that needed to be healed and how obedience, his willingness to surrender to the Lord. And we talked about the fact, the principle that we accept that God does in fact want what is best for us. Even if it doesn't feel like it at the time, God wants what is best for us. In week two, we talked about King Saul last week. We talked about the first king of Israel. And we talked about how obedience is never easy. When you're obeying God, it's not easy and it's not voluntary, even if it's hard. We talked about the fact that sometimes we assume that if something that God wants us to do is hard, that we get to choose about whether we... No, no, obedience is never, never voluntary. Before we get into today's message, I just want to offer this word of warning. Don't be caught off guard because when you decide that you want what God wants, you can expect that the enemy is going to come at you strongly. Because he knows what obedience does. He knows how obedience unleashes the blessing of God. And one of the reasons that God so forcefully is trying to get you to obey Him is because He knows that on the other side of your obedience is an incredible blessing. And that's what the devil knows too. So what he does is he attempts to deceive you with words like he did with Eve in the garden. Notice what he said to Eve. God said, don't eat of that tree. And the devil twisted the words and said, apparently God doesn't want you to have something that you want. And that triggered in her this disobedience and her husband to disobey God because they assumed that God did not want them to have something that they really wanted. And I think that, stu that struggle continues today. But the enemy will say to you, he will tempt you with this idea that, oh, I know I shouldn't be doing that, but I want it. And why would God not want me to have what I want? And so we get into trouble because we allow the enemy to trap us. It is the trap that he sets to keep us from being obedient and from living the best life that we get to we could live if we were obedient 
So I want to finish this series this morning with a story that sounds so bizarre you're almost tempted to think it did not happen. In fact, there are people in the world today who will tell you this did not happen. They will try to point to science. They will talk about improbabilities and unlikelihood. But it happened. And you know why I know it happened? Because it's in God's Word. And God's Word is immutable. It simply means that what God says is true. So stand with me please and let's read from the book of Genesis chapter 6. Gen excuse me, yeah, Genesis chapter 6. We're going to talk about Noah and a flood. Genesis chapter 6. We'll start with verse 5 and then we're going to skip. We're not going to read all the way through, but we'll skip down through some of the verses and I'll let you know as we're making that transition. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. He, God, saw that everything they, that man, human beings, thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he ever made them and he put them on, and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have committed, I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing. All the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, even the birds of the sky, I am sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. Everybody say favor. favor. Noah found favor with the Lord. Skip down to verse 9. Noah was a righteous man. The only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. That is one of the most remarkable verses in the Bible. When I was reading that, again, this week, I asked myself this question. Could God say that about you? Me? Could he say... John, Sally, David is the most blameless person that lives on the earth. Could they even say that about you on your job or in your school? Could they say at your school that you are the most blameless person who lives or goes to that school? That's what God said about Noah. Skip to verse 14. Now he's talking to Noah, giving Noah a command. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout the interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Look. This is God talking. I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. But I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male, a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground. 
will come with you to be kept alive. Can I just stop right here? This is not spiritual what I'm about to say. I wish he would have taken care of the first two flies. I just wish. Be sure to take on board enough food for your family and all the animals. Notice this line right here. So Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. You may be seated. I want to start this morning by telling you that it is really hard to put your faith and confidence in something you've never seen or done before. It's really hard to commit to that, especially if you have no experience with it. It's very difficult to put your faith and confidence in something you've never seen or never done before. You know, Shelly, Shelly likes exotic food. She likes ex sauces and exotic stuff. Uh, we go to the restaurant, she orders the craziest stuff on the menu. And she always starts out by saying, could I take this and put it with this? And can we put that on there? Can we, you know, it's just, she loves that kind of stuff. Me, I order the same thing on the menu every time, whatever restaurant it is. You take me to Longhorn, I can tell you right now what I'm going to get. Because I already know what I'm going to get. Take me to Chick-fil-A, I know what I want. And Shelly does this thing. You know, I, I, go, I go to bed fairly early. I, I'm, I'm a sleepy head about 10 o'clock, so I'm not as alert as I should be. Shelly just finds her rhythm about 9.30, and she's ramping up at that point. And I will be almost asleep, just almost gone, and she'll say, Hey, she sticks her phone right in my face and says, Would you eat this? I kind of get myself together and I go, now? It's hard to put your faith and confidence in something that you have never seen or done before. The reason I say that is because Noah, according to Scripture, had never seen rain before. Now strangely, the Bible said the earth had been watered by a mist that came up from the ground. So there was no rain that fell. He had never seen rain. And God says, I'm going to flood the earth with water. He doesn't say he's going to cause it to rain necessarily, but it did. Noah had never needed or built a boat in his life. He wasn't a guy that lived on the coast that had boated his whole life. He had never built a boat as far as we know. He had never needed a boat as far as we know. Thirdly, Noah had no experience in surviving a flood. And yet God said to Noah, I want you to build a boat because I'm going to flood the land with water and everything is going to be killed. So what did Noah do? Noah believed. How did Noah make it? He made it by faith. That's the point that is so critical to the story of Noah. Is It was Noah's faith in what God said to him. What God had promised, what God declared, what God had predicted. In fact, the writer in the book of Hebrews begins chapter 11 with these words in verse 1. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. 
It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. You don't need faith if you can see it. You don't need faith if you can prove it. Faith is the evidence that says, I don't know what a flood is, but God said to prepare for one. And that's faith. But then he goes on in verse 7. He says, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about the things that were going to happen. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and received the righteousness that comes by faith. What is he saying? He's saying Noah trusted that what God told him was going to happen was going to happen. And therefore he prepared for it because he trusted in God and his faith was considered righteousness. In other words, God looked at Noah and said, that's my guy because he believes what I say is going to take, take place. It's going to happen. So I want to offer you three statements that I feel so strongly about this morning. I cannot emphasize enough how much I believe these three statements. And I've been waiting for months to be able to preach this to you. Here's the first statement. Noah put his faith into something that he could not prove. Noah put his faith into something that he could not prove. Noah's faith originated out of a trust that he had in God. That what God had said, what God had promised would come to pass. Now, for three weeks, I've been telling you that we should, have the, we should live the kind of life that wants what God wants. But the life of I want what God wants only works if you believe what God says. It only works if you trust that what this book says is actually the truth. That God keeps His promises and that God wants for you what is actually best for you. Because that's where faith works. That's where faith works. Because sometimes you step out by faith and you do not know. And that's why it's faith. You feel God leading you, directing you. I remember a guy telling me one time that he sat in our service. And he said, I did not have enough money to buy lunch that day. I did not have the money. But he said, I felt so strongly that God told me to write a check for $1,000 and put it in the offering. And he said, I leaned over and told my wife and she about passed out. But he said, I knew. I knew in my heart that what God did. So I wrote the check and I put it in. And he said, before we got home, if I remember the story correctly, before we got home, I got a phone call from someone for a job that would pay me more than I had given God. You see, that's where faith happened. When God says, listen, I need you to do this and I'm going to bless you on the backside of your obedience, I'm going to bless you more than you could possibly imagine. I remember one time my first wife came to me and she, she was just so, just crying. She was so upset. I said, what's the problem? She said, well, I don't want you to be mad, but she said at the ladies' event tonight, I felt like God told me to give this much money to one of the pastor's wives. 
She said, I didn't have time to call you or check with you. I don't even know if there's that much in the checking account. I said, there's not. Good thing you didn't call. But I said to her, if God told you to do it, then you're good. That next day, I went to preach at a, a, a little bitty church, just a little bitty church. Wasn't very many people there. And the, I was there for Sunday morning and Sunday night. And as we were walking out to the car, the pastor walked me out to my car. And he said, I, we don't have a lot of money. But he said, while you, he said, I already made out your check. But while you were preaching tonight, God spoke to me to change the amount of money on the check. He said, God must be doing something in your life. I don't even know if you know what it is, but here's the check. Well, I couldn't hardly wait for him to leave. So I could look at the check, and the check was the exact amount that my wife had written it for. Now, how does that happen? It happens because God says, can I trust you? Will you be obedient to me? And will you trust that what I'm telling you is true? Will you believe that I can do anything? Now, I'm not just talking about money. There may be a, a hundred different scenarios that you could apply that to. But it comes down to the fact that Noah put his faith in something that he couldn't prove. Noah, what are you doing? I'm building an ark. A what? It's a boat. It's going to rain. Earth's going to flood. All y'all going to die. And they said, Noah, you're crazy. You know what? He just kept building the boat because his faith in what God said was stronger than his resistance to the, the criticism that he got from those that don't believe. And I'm telling some of you sitting here this morning, you live in a world that does not believe. And every once in a while, you have to step out by faith and you have to trust that what God is saying to you is the truth despite what anybody in the world thinks. Noah trusted that God was speaking. And let me just say this before we go to number two. Noah did not build the ark because he was afraid. Noah didn't build the ark because, oh my God, they're going to flood the land. No, he, he, he built the ark because God told him to. Life is not to be lived in fear. Life is to be lived in faith. Faith that what God has said, what God is doing in your life will come to pass. And you can't see it right now. You, you can't see what's taking place. But the truth of the matter is God is at work to bring about His will. And what He wants you to do is trust Him. Right hand over your heart. Left hand toward the Lord. Repeat after me. God, I want what you want. Second statement, Noah refused to let his faith be defined by the world in which he lived. You may want to hold on to your chair. It could get bumpy here in a moment. Look at verse 5, chapter 6. The Lord observed the extent of wickedness on the earth and saw that everything that humans thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Do, do I have to remind you that this is the world in which you and I are living today? I subscribe to what used to be called Twitter. It's now called X. And I get, I get amazed at what is going on in this world. 
what is being done in this world, the evil and the wickedness that is in this world. And I don't have to remind you that this world thinks that the Christian faith, when I say the world in general, I'm talking about the majority of people in the world, they think that the Christian faith is a fabricated fable. That you and I are delusional. That we are out of our mind to put our faith and confidence in something we cannot prove. But can I just remind you this morning, that's exactly the way the people of Noah felt in his time. And can I also remind you that Jesus said in the last days it'll be just like it was in the days of Noah. One of the ways that I know the Lord's about to come is because we live in a culture and a world that no longer believes that what God says is true. We, we live in a world that does not believe the word of God matters. And, they, and we discount what God says. Noah wasn't working for his own benefit. He was working in obedience to what God told him. And the world assumes that God's people are simply misguided. That faith is some sort of arbitrary option in life. That you could just choose if you want, but you don't have to. It's exactly the way it was in the world in which Noah lived. This is a world completely without righteousness and holiness. And in a world like that, Noah was a man whose faith was inconsistent with the world in which he lived. I'll say that again. Noah's faith was inconsistent with the world in which he lived. Can that be said about you? The faith that you live, the way that you live, the way that you operate, the way that you conduct yourself, is it inconsistent with the general population of this world? It should be. Because Jesus said we are not of this world. We live in the world, but we are not of this world. And the influences and pressures of this world that Noah lived in did not shake his confidence in what God had said. Just because other people didn't believe did not cause Noah to doubt what God had said. Just because his friends said he was crazy, just because people talked about him, it did not cause Noah to say, I don't think I can trust God anymore. It was not faith by consensus. It was not faith by majority rule. It was faith from one man who simply said, if nobody else believes God, if nobody else is willing to trust God, I believe God, I believe God's word. And if, will, if necessary, Noah was willing to stand alone. Now I've come to this podium this morning to remind every one of you and those of you watching that we now live in a post-Christian world. Even though a large proportion of society still identifies themselves with the term Christian. You notice that? I get tickled. I'm a sports fan and I watch guys on TV dropping F-bombs all the time. And then telling the reporter, I want to give God glory for all that God's done in my life. Cursing like a sailor and giving God glory for it. That's the kind of world I'm talking about. 
People want the label of Christianity, but they don't want the sacrifice and the righteous way of life. And so in a post-Christian world, we live with the label of Christianity. We have Christian ideals and simplified values, but we reject the authority of Christianity and we, res we don't respect any longer God's Word as absolutely true. We think that we can just live any way that we want to live. I've had this conversation with people for years who will say, I know, you know, Pastor, I know it's not right for me to live with my boyfriend, but, but we like each other. Who cares? God's Word says sex outside of marriage is a sin. That's what God's Word says. Whether you like it or not, it's what God's Word says. The Bible says that we're not supposed to cheat. And if you say, well, but everybody does it, doesn't make any difference if everybody does it. Or don't be telling lies. You say, well, but you know, that's the way the world is. If you, if you tell the truth, you don't get the same opportunity. It doesn't matter what the, the pattern of the world is. What does God's Word say? We are to live by every word that is in this book. Why is America a post-Christian world? I'll tell you why. According to the most recent Gallup study, only 20% of Americans believe that God's Word is true. That means one in five people in the world do not even believe the Bible is true. And if the Bible is not true, where are the guardrails? Where are the, 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 the rules and regulations of life? You know where the rules are? It's what I told you last week in the book of Judges. Every man does what is right in his own eyes. And left to his own wisdom, left to his own disguise, man is destined to destroy himself. You and I cannot live by what we think. We must live by what God has said. And it's getting worse. 29% of Americans identify themselves as non-religious. Meaning they don't have any faith at all. They don't want faith. I saw this picture on Twitter the other day of a young woman. The guy was just walking down the street telling people, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus. You know, everybody came to and she stopped him and she said, you can take that garbage and get it out of here because nobody in this neighborhood wants to know that. And he said, why would you not want to know that Jesus loves you? She said, because I know you have an agenda to take away my rights, to keep me from what I want to do with my life. And I don't need you to do that. Every man does what is right in his own eyes. The point I'm trying to make is that you and I are now missionaries to a world that increasingly no longer holds to the conviction of who God is and what God says. The fact that God said it means nothing to this world. And so now you and I become living proof. We become the visible, tangible examples of people who choose to live not according to the dictates of the world, but according to what the Word of God says. Do we really want what God wants? God wants you and I to be missionaries, to be examples, to be the persons in this world who hold up Jesus Christ.
before a lost and a dying world. But to get there, as I said last week, you have to choose. You have to choose whether or not you're going to serve the Lord. You're going to have to choose whether you're going to have to make it known to your friends you're not going there. Let me speak to my young high school friends here for a moment. See, here's, here's where the battleground is. and We'll talk about this more in a minute. I'm not so sure that your friends care what you do with your life. They just don't want you not doing what everybody else is doing because your identifying and not doing causes guilt to come onto them. See? We are missionaries in this world. You may be the only person on your job that serves Christ. You may be the only person in your neighborhood that serves the Lord. And here's the danger. Here's the, the tension that I feel as pastor. Is that in so many cases I feel like the, the, the pressure of the world is crushing in on believers. And they're starting to make choices that are more aligned to what's out there than to what's in the book. All the time still coming to church. All the time still claiming to know the Lord. But listen to me. It's not enough just to come to church. I think I heard three people say amen. Listen. People will go to hell just as quickly from church as they will from a strip club. You hear what I'm telling you? People will go to hell from a church choir just like they will from the bar. It's not everyone, Jesus said, that says, Lord, Lord, that enters the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. The person who says, I want what God wants, and if nobody else is with me, I'm okay. I'm going to serve God. Whether my friends like it, whether my neighbors like it, whether my family likes it, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to live by what God says I'm supposed to do. I'm not going to buy what the world is selling. I'm not by the pressure to conform to what the world is trying to say. See, faith, listen, faith cannot be compartmentalized. Some of you, and I love you, I, I do, I love you. You put on Sunday and take it off in a little bit and put on Monday and the two are not the same. You cannot compartmentalize faith. You can't have one life in church and a different life in the world. And if you are going to live that way, you probably need to stay off Facebook. Because you don't, you don't realize you're telling everybody you're a hypocrite. And I, I'm not fussing at you. I love you. I want everybody to go to heaven. I'm trying my best to help you here. But you're not fooling anybody. Because people know. And at some point you have to decide whether you truly want what God wants Timothy said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is such a powerful verse. He's talking about the last days. It's on the screen. You should know this, Timothy. In the last days, there will be very difficult times. 
People will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander and they will have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure more than God. Notice the next line. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. There's a poem out there, and I can't remember all of it, but it says something like this. I want $2 worth of God. I don't want enough of God to make me feed a poor person or give to a missionary. I just want enough of God that I can sleep at night. I want just enough of God that I can feel my conscience eased. But it doesn't work that way. You either are all in or you're not in. It's, it's going to be tragic for people. Maybe even some of you. It's going to be tragic that you're going to stand before God and be completely bewildered why it's not right. Because you bought into a philosophy that you could do what you wanted to do and still be a Christian. You can't. Here's the last point. Noah built an ark to protect and save his family. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7. But by faith, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. Now I want to say this to you carefully but lovingly. This is where the rubber meets the road for me. Because what we truly believe. Now listen to me parents. Listen to me leaders at Lake Erie Church. What we truly believe is what we are teaching our children. Not what we say we believe, but what we truly believe. What we truly believe is what we are living out before our children and teaching them. Dr. Lamar Vest, who wrote the book Church and Youth, which is a dynamic book. It's no longer in print, but it's an incredible book. He says, if I really wanted to know what your church stood for, I would not ask the elders or seniors. I would spend my time listening to your children because they reflect what you truly believe about God. They reflect what you truly believe about God. And we say this in our, in our language that generations matter and that we have a responsibility to teach generations about God. And we've talked about seniors teaching youngers and, and youngers helping old. And we, this idea of cross-pollinating, this, this idea that we are all together the family of God. But the value of those who have lived for the Lord And parents teaching their children the things that they have to know to survive the destruction that's coming. Now, I absolutely know how harsh this sounds, and so I'm trying to say it kindly. Would it not be absolutely horrible to stand before God in the judgment and have your children point at you and say, you didn't tell me. I'm going to hell because you didn't tell me. 
I'm missing heaven because you didn't think it was important to tell me. And, and I, I've raised children. I understand that. And the pressure's probably greater than it was when I was raising children. But I'm just telling you, when God deposits a child into your life, you are accountable to God for what you teach them, what you show them, what you give them, how you prepare them to live in the world to come. And I'm telling you, you may not believe me and you might not like what I'm saying, but the devil is after your kids. The devil's after your family. The devil's after your home. And you have to rise up in the power of the Holy Spirit and say, I want what God wants for my family. I want what God wants for my children. Noah's obedience was a generational decision. Notice what God said. Build an ark and save your family. He didn't say build an ark, save yourself. He said you build the ark so you save your family. What would have happened if Noah had not built the ark? His family would have been destroyed. And it was Noah's responsibility in obedience to God to prepare for the salvation of his family. And this is not about putting people under guilt. I'm not trying to put people under guilt. But I am telling you that the choices that we face every day is whether we want what God wants or we want what somebody else wants. And if we're going to be the people of God, if we're going to be who God wants us to be, we have to fight off every attempt of the enemy. The devil is after us, this generation. It's the reason that we started Generations Matters Learning Center. Where children could come in a safe environment and loving environment. And we could teach them as much as we could in that context about the love of God. It's Dustin Vorse every Tuesday morning sticking his head in every classroom and praying over every child. It's our prayer team walking the hallways on Sunday mornings before Naomi starts with those children praying the blessings of God over that space and over what takes place back there so that while the same glory of God is happening here, the glory of God is happening there. It's because we believe that we have a responsibility to save a generation. One day perhaps we're going to start a Christian school here at Lake Erie so boys and girls can learn to read and write in an environment where they don't have to be indoctrinated to change their gender or conform to an ideology that does not know God. I appreciate teachers and we have people here in our church who work very hard, school board members, and I'm not here to cast stones, but I'm simply saying the devil is using every tool that he can. He's looking for every inroad that he can. And this church, this church that I love, I'm your pastor, we are a family of God. We must not only be generational, but we must be missional and know that God has deposited the truth into our heart and we must share it with the next generation. We must tell our sons and daughters. We must communicate the love of God. I was sitting at my desk the other day, Don Tyree, and I was thinking about you. Yeah, 
I was. I was thinking about you. You don't believe it, but I was. How old are you? How old are you, Don? 88 years old. Now listen. I think the devil figured out a long time ago that he wouldn't be able to get you with the traps of things. And so you know what he did? He just waited and went after your kids and the next generation and the next generation. And sitting here among us are men and women who have served the Lord for 40, 50, 60 years. And the enemy knows I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to convince them of the culture wars. I'm not going to be able to get them to woke with me. But here's what I will do. I'll go after their family. I'll go after their kids. I'll go after their children and their grandchildren. And some of you sitting here today are carrying a burden because the enemy has snatched your own children away from us. So if this is the last time I ever preach to you, which I'm sure it's not unless something happens, I want to tell these high school students something. I want to tell the young adults that are back there in that corner something. I want to tell the tweens, 6th, 7th, and 8th graders that are sitting here. You listen to Pastor Bill. You do not have to celebrate anything that violates God's word. And no one can force you to accept what violates God's word. Nobody can make that happen. This is a hyper-sexualized culture that's trying to trap you into a sinful way of thinking. Listen to what I'm telling you. It's a hyper-sexualized culture that wants to trap you into a sensual, sinful way of thinking because the devil knows if you go that way, you're walking away from God. And so the commercials, the ads, the things that are, your children are watching on YouTube and some of these channels on, that they're, they're, they're watching, you, you know, you think they're playing Mario Brothers, but they're not. You had better be aware of what's going into their little minds. You better be aware of what they're seeing with their eyes. The idea is the enemy wants to destroy. And I want to finish by saying this because I think probably there may be somebody, maybe I'm being a little bit too sensitive here, that you may think I'm making some sort of a political rally cry, but I'm not. This is neither a Democratic or Republican stance. And if you've been around here a long time, you've already probably heard me say this. God did not call the church to be political. He called the church to be prophetic. He called the church to be a prophetic voice. And what it means to be a prophetic voice is to represent and raise up the name of Jesus Christ in the world. And that's what God has called us to be. He didn't call us to, to give our allegiance to anybody. He called us to give our allegiance to Him and be His voice in a world that is lost without God. It means that we speak to the things that are from the authority of God's Word. And so I finish by saying this. I've thought about this and I've prayed. I've prayed about it. I wish... I wish that we could save every high schooler in Lake County. 
I see and hear things from other pastors and leaders and parents and it, it breaks my heart. We won't be able to save every high schooler. But by the grace of God, we're going to tell the ones that we do have the truth. We're going to tell this group of high schoolers, this youth pastor and his wife, who are leading our high school ministry, we're going to preach the truth, teach the truth, and love these kids so that they know God who cares about them. And that wanting what God wants doesn't mean you give up the best life. Wanting what God wants means you get the best life. You get the life that God wants. You get the life that God has planned, that God has ordained. I want every one of our 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, I don't know how many are even here today, but that ministry that's just getting started, I want them to know that we believe in them and we care about them. I want the young adults, I want you to hear me. There's never been a group that's been more pressurized than you guys. And some of you sitting here have struggled in your own life to get it right, to get it right. And to figure out how to do it. But I want to tell you, this church believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we promise to always try to tell the truth. And to lead you to a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And every kid that's back there, and they're going to be joining us in just, just a moment. In fact, somebody go get them and start bringing them this way. We don't have the kind of reach that we can get every kid. But I, I remind myself almost every day that I'm here when the hallways are filled with the noise of little voices that God has given Lake Erie Church a chance. Those of you that were here when we first were going through the process of deciding whether moving here was the right move for us, you may remember me telling you that on a Saturday morning I came here before daylight, walked these grounds, and somewhere out about halfway, I felt like the Lord spoke to me. I was looking back at this big building from the back. That day I felt like the Lord said to me, if you think I'm giving you a building, you're missing the point. What I'm giving you is an opportunity. An opportunity. Come here, Sophia. Sophia is the daughter of Ashley and Joey Rivers, but she is the opportunity that God is giving Dustin and Katie and this church to teach her to know the Lord. She is our opportunity. The little children that Naomi is walking into the room now, these children are the opportunity that our church has. Last time I checked, there's about 70 children on that roster. An opportunity. About 30 kids in our tweens ministry, 15 of them were here last Wednesday, last Wednesday night. I looked in that room and I thought, so many of these children don't have parents that serve the Lord. It's an opportunity. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Now we invite you to visit one of our services soon. For more information, 
please visit us at lakeeriechurch.com.